This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Catherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and cat lover. So today I have a fun guest, Dr. Liz Bales, and she's a cat lover like me. She has dedicated her career to the improvement of cat lives and the lives of the cat parents. So we're going to talk with her today about the minimum things that you as a cat lover and cat parent should provide to make sure that your cat's needs are met. It's, it's a lot more complicated than just food and water. So we'll be right back with Dr. Liz Bales right after a word from our sponsors. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for Dogs and Cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. Before the break, I mentioned Dr. Liz Bales, and I have her with me. Hey, Dr. Liz. Well, hi. It's so great to talk to you again. I know. I love talking to you. And I especially love the outlook or, I don't know, the view you have into the way a cat works. And that's what I want to talk about today. I think that my listeners may not realize all the things that a cat needs really just to meet minimum needs. And I know you know a lot about that and you have a lot of cool ideas and products to talk about. So let's jump right in. What do you think is first on the list for things that cats need? The first thing cats need is our understanding. And I think that we have done a really bad job, we veterinarians, of explaining what cats need and what they really are. And when we understand the basics of what they are, the rest of everything starts to make sense. So I was reading, I, of course, I see patients and I have work that I do kind of behind the scenes to make sure that the patients are, are getting cared for. And I was reading some things about why cats do not understand punishment, that punishment should never be used when training a cat. Can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Yes. So the first thing to understand is that cats look at the world completely differently than humans. So humans are collaborative. So we need each other to survive. So me working with you, you liking me, us getting along makes sense. 
And then if I've done something you don't like for you to punish me by whatever that is, you know, you're not going to take my calls or whatever that is, that makes sense to me because I need you to like me. For a cat, that makes no sense. Cats are solitary survivors. They don't need anyone or anything else to survive. So when they're punished by someone, that doesn't really make sense to them. The only thing that they take away from that is you're scary and mean, and I'm confused. That is awesome. So I just want all of my listeners to remember that punishment as a training tool is just not going to work for your cat. And in fact, Dr. Cat, I think it's worse than that. Not only isn't it going to work, but it's going to make your cat confused and afraid of you. And they're going to be living in a heightened state of anxiety just by the fact that you're there if you punish them, which is not what you want. So let's jump to that then. I see a lot of cats in a heightened state of anxiety, which of course shows itself as some unwanted behaviors. But let's talk about how anxiety can affect our cats. So again, they're just very, very different than humans. And Living in a human world is actually hard for them because when they're outside and they're making their own choices, the things that they need to be safe are places to climb, places to hide. They need to be in control of who they interact with and who they don't. They need to be in control of their territory, and that means other cats. And they need to hunt. So About 80% of the time that a cat is awake in nature, they're hunting for their food. The rest of the time, they're grooming and hanging around, and they do sleep a lot. So if we think of what they need, it's places to climb, places to hide, to be in control, to have their own territory, and to hunt. So then we bring them inside and expect them to live a human life where, you know, it's regular furniture and a bowl of food, and a litter box where we decide it's going to be, and it really doesn't work for them. And then we get irritated if they don't use the litter box or they don't like the food. So you've touched on a lot of things just in that little bit, and I want to kind of break them apart because like I said, I see these cats every day and I ask these clients questions. So let's stop on a way to hunt. So here we are, we sprinkle some cat food in a bowl and we set it down next to the cat's water dish, potentially near the cat's litter box. Why doesn't that work? And what do we need to do? So we are feeding them as if they were a human. And that is, it's all that makes sense to us. But imagine if I, I love this analogy, if I fed you like a bird. So I put you in a giant nest And I pureed your food and vomited it, regurgitated it into your mouth. Actually, a mother robin will do that up to a hundred times a day. So I fed you in the way that's right for me, a robin, but it really is not right for you, a human. And that's what we're doing to cats. The nutrition is pretty good for the most part, no matter what you buy, if it's an AFCO approved food, but the how you feed them is really, really wrong. Oh my gosh, what a what a crazy analogy that I totally get. I wouldn't want someone a hundred times a day regurgitating food for me. <laughs> so. Right. And and to a mother robin, that is the highest form of love. They've treated you like a baby. Right. Only that's not gonna work for you. And that's what we're doing without meaning to. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so that must be how you came up with some of the things that you came up with. Let's talk a little bit about products that can help us sort of meet cats where they are. So it's super hard for humans to understand this and to break away from the bowl. We come up with every reason why it is punishing for them not to eat from a bowl, which is so funny the way we started this conversation, because we want to punish them for certain things. And then the things that they need, we're actually punishing them. (laughs) So the bowl is wrong. A cat in nature will hunt, catch, play, and eat eight to 12 mice every single day. So mother nature has to give them this incredible motivation to hunt. They do it mostly at dawn and dusk. And so it's that hunt, catch, play, and eat a tiny meal many, many times a day and in the early morning hours. So when your cat wakes you up at four or five in the morning to be fed, even if there's food in the bowl, they're meeting that need to hunt, catch, play, which they just did with you, and then eat. And the other big piece that most people miss is hunting. We think of that exciting part at the end where there's the pounce and the all the fur flying, but that is really a small portion of the whole event. It's the seeking out and stalking that really is the time-consuming mental engagement of physical activity for the cat. So for them to be happy, we actually need to recreate that. Oh, I love that. And I talk a lot about exercising cats' bodies and minds. I think for decades, we have neglected cats' minds and we and everybody thinks, oh, they're just stupid because they can't learn. And they are not stupid and they do mm-hmm. need their minds. Yes. And actually, we have done them a great disservice because if you can imagine, I put you in solitary confinement with nothing to read, nobody to talk to, no television, no internet, After four or five years when your spirit is broken, you're kind of cuckoo, right? There's actually a fair amount of data on this in human beings that we have put in solitary confinement. And then we come in to see you and we're like, look how lazy they are. And they must be stupid because all they're doing is sleeping. Yeah. If you did that to me, I'd probably pee on your stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So we've caused the very things that we criticize them for and even the things that we give them back to the shelter for. We caused it. Okay. So that brings me to the next thing that I think is super duper important. And I know it's on your list, a litter box that they like. So let's talk about that because it's not the same for every cat. And I give a lot of advice about that. Let's talk about litter boxes. So I think that you can use a basic template that's going to serve most cats And then if that doesn't work, if you're in the small percentage that's outside of the bell curve, then you can start seeking other things. But again, it's in conflict. So anybody who's got a cat out there listening, nod if I'm right. You want the smallest possible litter box that never gets dirty with litter or with feces or urine. You want it in the nether regions of your house, the deepest, darkest closet, the corner of the basement, basically it would be way better if cats didn't have to go to the bathroom. Well, for cats, number one, they have to go to the bathroom. Number two, that's funny, number one and number two, see what I did there? Number two, <laughs> they, they actually have, there's a lot of importance in their urine and feces to them. There's ritualistic behaviors. There's stuff that they got to do to position themselves to feel safe going to the bathroom. 
And their urine and feces actually contain a lot of messages. And so when they want those messages given, they need to use the bathroom in a certain way. And when they don't want them given, they want to use it in a, in a different way. So I'm going to use your voice as an example. So let's say you were under threat. You probably wouldn't want anyone to hear your voice. You're going to whisper. But when you're happy and relaxed or want to talk to your friend, you're going to speak loudly. Cats are kind of doing that all the time with their urine and feces. So a happy, relaxed cat is way more likely to use the litter box. And a cat that's under threat, a threat that may make no sense to you whatsoever, might leave urine and feces in places that are baffling and annoying to you because they're trying to give some sort of message. So the the first simple things that we can do, we want to make sure the litter box is in a location in the house the cats can get to. So when we tuck it away in the nether regions of the house, that's exactly wrong. One on every floor of the house in a place that's easy to get to. And then for a variety of reasons, like, you know, my dog likes to get into the litter box and other things, we'll put them up high or make them a top entry so the dog can't get their snout in them. And for a lot of cats, that is really hard. Cats are so agile that we don't think about it, but most cats over three, four, five years old have radiographic evidence of arthritis. So if we make it hard for them to get to their bathroom, they're going to be a lot less likely to use it. Yeah. I think about what if my house had the bathroom in the attic and I had to lower down that ladder and unfold the ladder and climb up to go to the bathroom, I would probably go to my neighbor's house. I mean, I wouldn't right? use it to be so difficult, but that's what we do to our cats. Let's add more to that. I love that example. Okay. So to use your bathroom, you've got to do that whole ladder up into the attic thing. But somebody decided that you needed a housemate. Well, that housemate hates you and would very much like to beat you up most of the time. And guess what? They hang out right around the base of that ladder all the time. So now every time you try to go to the bathroom, your very physical safety is in jeopardy. They don't say it out loud. Like they don't say, I hate you, Catherine. Don't go up the ladder. (laughs) They just, they have like little, maybe little signs that they just flash and I'm the only one that can see it. So if you came over to my house, you'd be like, Catherine's so weird. Why won't she go near that ladder? (laughs) And that's the thing I want people to understand about their cats too, that if you're actually seeing aggressive behavior between your cats, things are really, really, really wrong. It's hard for us to see which is play sometimes and which is actually cats unhappy with one another. But if you're, if you're pretty convinced that your cats are attacking each other, things are bad. What cats do, you know, if you take not getting along from a scale of one to 10, where 10 is teeth, nails, fur flying, shredding, from about one to seven or eight, it's blocking access. So what does that mean? So that would mean kind of our example where let's say you spent most of your time in the bedroom and the ladder to our attic bathroom is in the hallway. If we don't get along and I am the bully, all I have to do is lay somewhere in that threshold or somewhere where you know that I am near the ladder and you're not going to come near me. And then when things get desperate and I have to go, then, well, you can, in this example, you have to go, then the fur might fly because you've had it. You're so antagonized for so long. You need to get to one of your basic needs. 
And so you're going to risk it. And that's when things get nasty. But what we don't see is that things have been nasty for a long time in cat language. Yep. And so that is a great place to take a break so that everybody can digest the fact that they don't see it until it's eight or nine on the scale of one to 10 and things have really gotten bad. So let's take a quick break and be right back. There are a lot of things no one likes to do. I mean, I do some really gross things in my work as a veterinarian, cleaning a cat's tea, yuck or calling someone back when they text, we need to talk, or cardio, or paying the orthodontist, or maybe swimming in the open ocean. Everyone can add scooping up cat litter to that list. And look, everyone loves their little furball, but the smell, the scooping, the scraping of stuck on mess, the answer? Arm & Hammer Slide Litter, the litter that slides right out, leaving nothing behind. You still may not love cleaning the litter box, but now you can just slide out the funk. Arm & Hammer Slide Litter, more power to you. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Hey, welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. Dr. Liz Fales and I are exploring all the minimum needs of cats, probably things you haven't thought about, and looking at the world the way your cat does with some sort of fun analogies. Um, Dr. Liz, <laughs> you said something about interaction and the interaction between cats, but interactions that cats do enjoy are actually really important to their well-being. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. So I like to break this into two categories. So there's interactive play and then solitary play. So the solitary play is recreating that hunting behavior alone. Cats actually, if you think about it, if a cat hunts and eats eight to 12 mice a day, how many times have you seen a cat actually do it? When you think about the comparison, it's very, very infrequent. They hunt and eat alone. And we need to give them that opportunity to hunt and eat alone. But they do want interactive play. And again, everything about cats comes down to hunting. So if we can do even five, 10 minutes, two or three times a day of interactive play with one cat at a time, we can really change their quality of life. And that's totally doable. I mean, we spend more than that just staring at our smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> And five minutes, it's nothing. So when we think about play, it's really different than playing with another person or playing with a dog. You want to get something like a fishing pole toy. They're really my favorite. And cats are going to be different. Some cats are going to prefer something sparkly. Other cats might prefer something furry or feathery. And what you want to do is start with the object on the end of your string near the cat. And then kind of jerk it away as if it was a scurrying little creature fleeing from your cat in that way that they do. So often human beings think about play as coming at you, but prey does not launch itself at cats. Prey is fleeing from cats in that jittery sort of way. That's what gets cats motivated and excited to play. And for a cat, play means teeth and nails. So for me, 
play with my cats does not involve my body parts. I want my cat to be able to use its teeth and nails and feel that predatory whole behavior and instinct without hurting me. And so my cats know that my body is for kindness and affection and that hunting, playing behavior that's aggressive and uses teeth and nails is for something on the end of a wire or a string far away from my body. And then you will laugh and laugh because when they catch it, they just roll around and kick their feet. And I mean, it's the most fun thing and it's only five minutes, right? Yes. And it is so fun. I have a ragdoll cat that is, you know, we put all these human words to them, but to me, she's like a drama queen and she's so fluffy and she loves to hunt and she's really uncoordinated. So she'll jump after the prey and have the time of her life, kind of like a hippopotamus doing ballet. And it is comic relief. It is so funny and fun. And it's five minutes. And the thing that I want people to know also is for a cat in their brain, that it's hunt, catch, play, eat. So when playtime is over, let them catch whatever the thing is on the end of your string or wire and give them a treat. That is their body's way of knowing this is over. When we don't do that, when we don't give them that food signal, they can really stay in what we call that heightened state of arousal. They stay jazzed up and maybe don't know what to do with that energy. And they can be aggressive to you, to a housemate, or to your furniture or your drapes. Okay. So you mentioned that your body is for kindness and, and not teeth and nails, but I do want to touch on scratching for cats because I get a lot of questions because at my animal hospital, we do not perform the declaw procedure. So I get a lot of questions about scratching. Can we talk about scratching for cats? Yeah. And this one is simple and complicated. Here's the simple part. Cats need to scratch. It is normal, healthy, happy behavior. It's a stress reliever for them. So we want to put scratching posts in the places where they spend a lot of time. People say, my cat always scratches my sofa. Well, what your sofa is, is something that smells like you. It's a place where you spend a lot of happy time. So nice, pleasant pheromones are around there. And your sofa is big and sturdy. So what your cat wants in a scratching post is something that they can get a full body. Imagine them standing on their legs like they do, sinking those nails into your sofa and being able to pull them down and get that full body stretch. Well, mostly, and this, you know, I get a little crazy with reality. I don't care for it because when you go to any of your pet stores, for the most part, what you see are corrugated cardboard or even wood scratching posts that are about a foot or 18 inches long with a base that maybe is a foot in diameter if you're lucky. And all that is, is something that as soon as your cat tries to grab it and stretch it is going to fling and fly around. That is useless and or scary to your cat. So they're going to choose the sofa. So do you have any specific recommendations of ones that you use or you have had good luck with that my listeners could look for? So. I, this is where life becomes an arts and crafts project, which I wish it wasn't for cats. And that's why I started my company, but we have a problem because of the way retail works that stores don't want to carry big, long, heavy scratching posts. It just doesn't fit their business model and shipping them is very expensive. So this is where arts and crafts comes into play. Get a four by four from the hardware store. And you want to get it 
you know, two feet, three feet long. And you can wrap it in carpet or sisal or nothing. You want to test and see what your cat likes. If you think about what they're choosing in your house to scratch, let's replicate that. And some cats think about where they're scratching too. Like I have a sizal rug in my living room. My cats really like to scratch on that, which isn't super for the rug. So I know that they like to scratch in a horizontal way. So I'm going to make my scratching things that are horizontal. If your cat is scratching on the sofa, then you want something vertical. And if you're going to make something vertical, you need it to be tall and you need a really sturdy base so that it's not going to flip over on your cat. So that base needs to be, you know, I don't have the physics worked out here, but a couple of feet wide and heavy so that the cat can get that really good pull down on the scratching post. The other thing that I really want people to know, particularly about scratching posts and cat trees, is that cats are creatures of smell. So remember, we talked about how much they're going to love your sofa because it smells like you and like happiness and those pheromones of goodness. Well, when we give them something new that smells like a store and a truck and a garage and a cardboard box, that to a cat is somewhat terrifying. And um, anything new that doesn't smell like them is dangerous until proven otherwise, which is really unrewarding as a cat owner when you come home with your expensive thing or you spent all weekend building your cat tree or your cat scratching post and you put it right next to the sofa where, where I'm, I'm asking or right next to where they're scratching, which I'm asking you to do and they won't go anywhere near it. Well, it smells wrong. And we can sort of take a shortcut to that. This is one of my favorite, I call it the Jedi mind trick for a cat. Take their bed or their blanket or some sort of bedding where they spend time where they're very happy and just rub it all over the new thing. And then you want to put something enticing there. So for a scratching post or a cat tree, you could put treats and food near there. They don't go together that much with a scratching post, but catnip certainly does. So you could sprinkle some catnip around your scratching post. And when we think about cats and catnip, they're happy, they're relaxed, they're rolling all around. So they're going to spread their own good pheromones right where you want them. And now the scratching post is friendly and happy and they're happy to use it. And maybe add some pheromone spray or... I don't know. I had a client ask me about silver vine. Silver vine is really interesting. I know about silver vine and I have it in these little vials to put in my exam rooms and stuff, but I don't really know why silver vine works. Do you? Does anybody? I do. So it's the same principle as catnip, but it actually is catnip doesn't affect all cats. Some cats just don't have the gene where they react to it. Silver vine, many, many more cats will react to silver vine than to catnip. It's the same chemical that makes them happy and excited. But the version that's in silver vine affects more cats than does catnip. Well, that is really awesome. So we covered a ton of ground today. And I want to kind of review for the listeners or maybe someone who has just tuned in the, the overall thing cats need places to climb, places to hide. And let's go back to a way to hunt because you briefly mentioned your products, um, your hunting feeder and things, but I want my listeners to hear it straight from the cat's mouth or yours, <laughs> um, what those are and how they work and how they can find them. 
So the gold standard of feeding for cats is to be able to seek out the food, play with it, and then eat a small portion whenever they want to, eight to 12 times a day. So I did a lot of work to try to recreate that for cats. So I made something called the hunting feeder. It is three little mice where there's a plastic inner container with a slider on the top. So you can control if the food comes out quickly or slowly and they have to work harder for it. And then wrapped around that is a fabric skin in the shape of a mouse. Now the shape of the mouse is really for the person, but for the cat, they can use their teeth and claws and it stretches and pulls like like flesh. That's hard for us to feel good about, but that is what a cat really needs. If they have teeth and claws, they can use it with that fabric. If they don't, they can just roll the mouse and as they interact with it, it will dispense small portions of food. So you take the three mice before you go to work in the morning, you put just a tablespoon or two of food into each one and you hide them around the house. I have lots of information about how you kind of wean them onto this and teach them how to do it. But once they understand, the cat gets to hunt, catch, and play with three meals during the day. And then you do it again before you go to bed. We talked about how people get very irritated being woken up at four or five in the morning, even when there's food in the bowl. If you hide the mice overnight, the cat gets to hunt like it wants and you get to sleep like you want. Now, the truth is smaller portions in more mice is ideal, but I've been working with the human cat loving public for enough time to know that eight to 12 is just too much to ask for most people, for each cat. So we put a little more food into each of the three and we hide three during the day and three overnight and get rid of the bowl. So it's baby steps for people. I mean, cats are already there, right? (laughs) Cats are already there. Cats are already there. And you know, the thing that's so interesting to me is how many people say, my cat would never do it. My cat can't do it. And I am here to tell you, every single cat can do it. And I've spoken at length. I just love the people who've devoted their life to this research. And Dr. Tony Buffington, who's now at the University of California, Davis, who was at Ohio State, is really the godfather of understanding this in the United States and really in the world. And when I explained what I was doing and asked him for feedback on the way I explain things and how my products work, he said, I only have one piece of advice. You say cats are lazy, and that is incorrect. Cats that don't perform their natural behavior. And again, their natural behavior is to hunt and interact with food. If they're not doing that, those are the cats that are at the biggest risk. Those are the cats that are going to get urinary issues, obesity, a lot of the what we call comorbidities, the sicknesses that go along with not hunting because they're shut down. They're already showing you that they're depressed. They're showing you that they do not have lost the will. And the answer isn't, oh, well, I guess they've lost the will. We got to give it back. And we do that by using these baby steps and teaching them how to hunt again. I cannot tell you how many people write me and call me and say, you know, my cat was sleeping all the time and overweight. I didn't change anything else. I didn't change the amount of food I fed. My cat has lost weight. They're playing again. They play with toys now for the first time in years. And I thought that, you know, oh, well, then maybe that would mean they're going to be aggressive with me. No, they've been aggressive in the way that is natural to them. So with a human, they're relaxed. 
when you feed their needs, they give you the best in them. Oh, I love that. And that is a great place to wrap it up because it just gives me chills because I agree with you and cats do love that and they do instinctively know how to do it. And I know all my listeners really want happy, healthy cats. So I just thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to talk with us about these things. And also to all my listeners, please take to heart the advice that Dr. Liz gave. I mean, think about your places to climb, your places to hide, a way to hunt, litter boxes that they like, and please give your cat five minutes a day or five minutes twice a day of active play. I mean, that's, that's doable, right? But thank you, Dr. Liz. Anytime. Frankly, there's nothing I like doing more than talking <laughs> about this. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime. I also want to thank my amazing producer, Mark Winter, because he makes this show perfect. And I want you all to go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.